0: Friends, welcome to episode 119 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take a game to the next level, I'm
1: Sarah and I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Um, it's it's been Michigan weather again.
0: It's been Michigan weather again. We're uh, we went from uh, pretty reasonable to 90 and humid and thunderstorms
1: with 80 mile an hour gusts. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was,
0: it's, it's been a, it's, it's been, it's been a fun August already. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, let's so last weekend, uh, we had, uh, Session Zero for my Savage Worlds We game. did, we did, that's right. Thought it went really well. Um, I thought,
1: I think so as well. I think we, everybody, <clears throat> I think everybody hit the, the, the numbers well, mm-hmm. as far as, like, understanding. I don't and, think, I don't think anybody walked out of there disappointed with how the character no. converted over to,
0: from D&D. Yeah. Um, and we did kind of like a simulated combat to kind of get everybody used to just the, the basic mechanics of things and stuff like that. And, right. Right. Um, talked a little bit about uh, some of the house rules
1: we were using. Mm-hmm. I think it was really mm-hmm. good. It no. Really good afternoon. The only thing I will say to you as a, as a fellow storyteller was mm-hmm. you didn't do a break. And that is a common problem with Session Zeros.
0: Well, I, I don't know. We kind of had a break like the entire afternoon because we weren't really like on doing like anything i mean you just weren't making characters
1: i watched the table everybody was engaged at the table trying to figure out what to do with their character except for one of the players who had already pre-worked two of them right yeah. but at the end of it i literally was uh <clears throat> uh I, I i had uh spoken with Vic who was doing her character and she's like i didn't even realize how hungry he was at the end i mean we had like snacked and stuff but like that was like a gaming session Huh. It just kept going, and I'm like, I'm watching you be casual and just enjoying watching everybody get their stuff together and be excited about it, and I'm watching everybody like, oh, okay, okay, this, and then this. Like, we were all taking exams, and you were huh. the teacher or the proctor. Okay, that's fair. And it was that's it fair. was a different experience, and I went, I wonder if this is what it's like during other Session Zeros that I've ran where I really don't, I just let people do what they want. Mm-hmm. I I probably should be aware of that. That might be something to be aware of. Okay, okay. So... Hmm. I didn't think we ran that late, and we had
0: snacks and stuff like that. I just kind of figured everybody was okay. I didn't, yeah. Maybe I misjudged the room.
1: No, I, 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 I think it was that everybody was into it. So it was like a classic game where everybody's buried into it that they forget.
0: And, the, and then at the end, you're just like – and once you have that moment of self-awareness right. Right, where you don't have something else occupying your mind, you're like, oh, I'm tired, and I hurt, and yeah. I've got a headache, well, and I, I haven't eaten in eight hours. I watched something. one of our players yeah. who
1: we, we kind of keep an eye on because uh-huh. she she sometimes fades – or they sometimes fade quickly – fade. And I was like, oh they they're going down. They're going down right now. Yep. They don't even realize that they shouldn't be walking out the door. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It was one of those situations, but other than that, I think it was fantastic. It went a lot more smoothly. I think there was a lot of good table discussion about like is this more my character or is this more my character? Mm-hmm. And that's always an interesting thing to do versus like building the best version of your character. Yeah. Or leaning into things that it, that are your character. It was it was it was neat seeing
0: everybody at the table get excited about which hindrances they were going to pick for their character. Yeah, you know, oh, I'm I'm looking at two of them. You know, you you'd think they were they were discussing special abilities
1: or magic yeah. spells or yeah. something.
0: Like, I don't know if I want to be delusional or if I want to be devoted. Like, yeah. mm. what's the difference? Is <laughs> you know, and then it went back
1: and forth and back and forth. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, it was it was great. It was really great. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we have a System Spotlight. We do. Second Tuesday of the month, like we uh, we always do. Uh, so tonight we're going to be talking about weird games uh, through
1: the breach setting. Now, I had put this one on our docket uh-huh. because... I was interested in it because I was interested in a Malifaux originally, but I never got into it, never did anything with it, heard a lot about it, yeah. heard that there was all kinds of weirdness that happened with it. Mm-hmm. Um, weirdness, funny that. <laughs> um, but then when I heard the RPG came out, I was like, oh, the storytelling elements that I'm really interested in, I'll get into that. Again, didn't get into it. Mm-hmm. Too many other things going on in my life because it, it came out, I want to say the, the, the we didn't get the actual game till later, the RPG, uh, yeah. Because the, the it became what like t- 2005 was when things started.
0: Uh, well, 2005 is uh when Me- Weird Games was was incepted. Uh, so it was, it's when they uh, kind
1: of started pulling things together.
0: Yeah, Nathan Carroll and Dan Eric Johns formed uh, f- formed Weird Miniatures in 2005, and it was um. Uh, around 2009 that they uh, uh, they then made their uh, skirmish game
2: yeah, the using skirmish their
0: one, yeah. Mini- they're using their miniature line uh, called Malifo right and that was kind of where the, the whole setting came from and such like that um, they stitched all the the story together and such like that and made this really great skirmish game out of it yeah Um through the Breach was actually kick-started in 2013. Okay,
1: that's that's what I'm remembering. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, and so the first edition of it came out in 2013. The second edition of it came out in 2017. 2017. Yep. All okay. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, they also recently, uh, in 2017, kick-started a, another game called The Other Side, which I guess is a little bit bigger, like a, a company size game, like 40 to 50 minis on Ooh, Other Side. Lord. Um, it's set in the Malifaux universe, but not in Malifaux. It actually takes place on Earth.
1: The other side of the breach.
0: Exactly. The okay. other side of the breach from where all their okay. other stories take okay. place. And it's kind of this, like, Lovecraftian shadow over Innsmouth sea creatures and Lovecraftian horrors.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what really intrigued me about the whole world is, like, a couple of friends kind of started showing me the minis and stuff and the mm-hmm. cards and there were decks involved. And I was like, okay, okay, so this is a miniature game with decks and story of, of a breadth that... Is kind of impressive. Oh yeah. Um. And I, I I got into like I started looking into some of the um factions that they had mm-hmm. uh, at the time because I really liked the uh, the artful look of it. It was very steampunk, but it was also very fantasy. Um. It kind of hit in my head a little like Star Wars, in the sense that it was fantasy, like high fantasy, mm-hmm. wrapped with steampunk.
0: Yeah. You yeah. know.
1: And uh I, I could easily see it becoming, you know, uh you know, steam opera sure. or, or something like that. Which it very much is. Sure, yeah. Um it's horse opera. Mm-hmm. in in its finest form. It's the frontier. Oh yeah, you know yeah, very um, very pulpy. Yeah, you've got you've got an oppressive faction mm-hmm. effectively that's commanding and controlling everything. Mm-hmm. You've got rebellion. You know, you've got, you know, local factions who are being asserted against. You've that, got frontier
0: politics and yeah. justice. Yeah. Otherwise I mean, known as no frontier politics and justice.
1: Right. I mean, it is it's it is very much all that you need to have that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, yep. But at the same time, these amazing looking minis, a different, a slightly different way to look at some of the traditional races as well. Mm hmm. Um, which I thought was kind of neat. Like, uh, uh, not to say that goblins often aren't,
0: well, they're, they're not goblins in this. They're right. gremlins. Yeah. Which yeah.
1: a different way. Look at they're like, uh-huh. but they're like, are those gobos? No, those are gremlins and they live in the swamp and they live in the swamp and they are rednecks and they have a whiskey golem. Yeah. Which yeah. was fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I love that. So, um, so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the universe. So I'm going to start on the other side of the breach on sure. earth. So, Earth, uh, and it is known as Earth, right? Yeah, yeah. And this, it's, it's, it, is...
0: it is an alternate universe of, of Earth. Earth. Like uh, they they talk briefly about the Sorcerer Kings of Egypt back in you know back yeah. in the
1: old days, and... and magic is a thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's part of our world, but not really as much anymore because we've dried it
0: up uh, or something. We're not really yeah. sure why, but in 1787, mm-hmm. magic just started to wane. Yeah. Um. And like, even you know, the the, the most potent you know Gandalf style style sorcerer who could bring down mountains on things could barely get a spark to come out of their wand.
1: Right. Which is, I mean, it was scary. I I, I see it akin to us having like a cataclysmic solar storm that wipes out all, all electronics. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, what what do we do? Like, how how do we get things going again? Kind so, of a thing. the, so
0: the greatest magical minds in uh on, in in Earth uh. Got together and uh, put all their their heads together, did a bunch of research, did a bunch of magic to try to, like, search out, like, divine where another, you know, another way of getting magic could be. And they found this um, alternate reality that kind of bordered on our own um, that had a ton of magic in it. And they thought, you know, hey, let's, let's just form a breach. Mm-hmm. Keep that word in mind. Yep. Um, between our world and theirs. Yeah. So they did that. Uh, it blew up hmm uh it killed most of the most powerful wizards um on earth yep and but we had this 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 breach open between us and there, so uh we travel through it and um we find instead of a wild, untamed wilderness, there's a city, like a fully formed city, hmm very recognizable um there are stores and people you know, and well, there's no people though. Oh, that's right.
1: That the first time there's no people. There's
0: literally nothing there. There's no sign of a struggle. It's not like everybody got up and left or anything. You know, not like they they. You know, it was just like they they just vanished. Mm -hmm. We we to this day we still don't really know what happened to them.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, so you know, after exploring a little bit, we kind of realized, okay, maybe maybe it's safe, and we start realizing that the magic here comes from the stuff called soul stone. Mm -hmm. And it's this white stone that um, is filled with magic, and you can use it kind of as a big battery, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason they call it soul stone is because as it dies, it slowly turns black, but if someone dies near a soul stone, it will recharge it. Yeah. so this, this went on for a while. We mined all sorts of soul stones. Stuff was we, coming back through the breach. Brought, brought them like steam rail back back through the breach to earth and stuff like that. Um, we made all sorts of like techno magic, putting these soul stones, like I said, like batteries mm-hmm. into machines and stuff. Our entire culture in that hundred years changed, changed. to yep. running off of soul stones.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When all of a sudden one day uh, in 1887, uh, there is, or sorry, 1897. Uh, nope. I'm wrong on that. That's ten years later, seventeen ninety-seven. There you go. So from seventeen eighty seven to seventeen ninety seven, we mined all these soul stones. Um there's a huge battle that takes place. Mm-hmm. Um, because the native inhabitants called the neverborn decide that they are done with this, pissed that we're that we're there and we're mining all their stuff and stuff like that and they want us gone. Mm-hmm. And um it's quick, it's very violent, and uh, right before the breach slammed shut, mm-hmm. uh, like, permanently, a torso of a body was tossed through it with a word written into the flesh,
1: ours. That's that's kind of a blatant statement at
0: that point. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they may, may well have just written F off on it,
1: you know? Yeah. And slammed the door on them. So at that point, Earth basically goes back into Super War because... Now we have a finite resource again. Uh huh. And, and like
0: starving wolves. Yep. Like starving wolves just went at each other's throats for all these all these resources. hmm So this happens for about a hundred years or so. Right. 1897 rolls around.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The breach spontaneously just reopens. And that's that. Mm-hmm. The Guild, um, who had run the mining operation before, mm-hmm. uh, had been keeping an eye on the breach, thinking that possibly someday they might find a way to reopen it and such like that. And when the door went back open, some explorers went through very tentatively. All the signs of battle were still there. Like, it looked like there was a huge battle that took place, but none of the people were there. Mm -hmm. They didn't find any bodies, anything like that. Um, And so slowly but surely, like like a a beachhead, you know, Mm -hmm. taking little bit by little bit slowly gained a foothold, and of mm-hmm. course not making the mistake of being complacent about their safety ever again. Right. Um, set up uh, their kind of like military-style stronghold, you know, grip mm-hmm. on the place, mm-hmm. um, and assured their uh, everyone's safety, and they got their mining operation back up. Current timeline is 1901. Yeah. And, and three, so three years after the, op- or sorry, four years after the opening of the breach. Yeah. And... The city of Malifo is uh, back, alive up and and well. oper- yep. back
1: up and operational, and it's it's not to be confused with that that like a hundred year war kind of happened, mm-hmm. and probably up to the relatively recent was still so there's still a lot of tension, there's still a lot of strife going on oh, sure. and the only controlling entity in this enterprise that's basically now has a stranglehold on all of magic mm-hmm. effectively is this guild is the guild exactly you know it they're the spice miners they're 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 controlling all of the movement of this magic well there's there's
0: a lot of themes available in Malifo. and that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the things i think i really like the most about it is that there are like very five very prevalent themes and so you can go in a lot of different directions with your mm-hmm. storytelling um so first off you've got the wild frontier I mean, outside of the city of Malifo, this is all undiscovered country. Yeah. You know, I think there's like some nearby towns and, and mm-hmm. villages and mining encampments, but like it's, it's got that very wild west feel to it. Mm-hmm. of The untamed wilds and who knows what's out there. Um, On top of that, this is an alien world. Yeah. Um, Soulstones, the Neverborn, uh, gremlins. Those are just a few of the things that the, the weirdness as you'll find out. There. Right.
1: Right. There's a lot more to. To
0: see exactly and this is a world that is potently filled with magic which we'll talk a little bit about later um, but suffice to say it is so magical that like people who cross through the breach sometimes spontaneously develop superpowers mm-hmm you know uh, but someone someone who might be like the the, the most tame hedge witch mm-hmm. who can barely get a flower to sprout might suddenly become an arc druid by walking
1: over there you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. Um But also, like, we have a rich history that's completely a question mark. Mm -hmm. Like, we know there was a battle that closed the breach. We don't know what's happened since then. Did people survive? Are they in hiding? Is... Are there notes and memories? Hell, what even
0: happened before that? Malifaux, yeah. the city was here when yeah. we came through the breach the first time, 100 right? Hundred years ago, did somebody
1: else come through a breach? Yeah, you know
0: exactly. Where did the city come from? What what used to be here before we found it? You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the embers of magic, which like I was just talking about yeah. there. Um, a lot of that is uh, that's that's a pretty big theme. There is. Um, how magic works so much differently in Malifaux than it does on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and people making really great, almost like scientific, you know, Industrial Revolution-style discoveries in the fields of magic right? just over in Malifaux. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a really big theme in the game, um, yeah. especially between, like, the Arcanists and the Guild. Mm-hmm. But again, we'll talk about them later. Yeah. And then finally, and I quote, it's all Guild business. Yeah. Because over all of this you've got this oppressive company and you've got this like sort of robber baron capitalism you know well
1: it's it's uh, akin to um the uh um east asian trading company in many okay, ways yeah. that even though you may have had this empire that was sitting behind them they knew the power was within this trade oh yeah And so they just waited. They bided their time. They prepared. They tried to breach, you know, and did their own things. And as soon as they were ready, they they were the only ones truly ready to walk through that Mm -hmm. breach and prep it. And because of that, it's theirs. They own it.
0: It's theirs. Also, they control the entire trade of soul stones. Yeah. So and where are you going to get your magic? Yeah. Where else? Yeah. Not Earth. Yeah. You know? Um, And the, the guild is always like a... It's kind of a weird balancing act, because on one hand, you know, you, you'd you love to paint them as the oppressive figures who rule with an iron fist, but,
1: mm-hmm.
0: man, if Malifaux ain't safe and we haven't been kicked out yet by the Neverborn, they did it once, they haven't done it a second time. Right. You know? They're still there, there too. There is law in Malifaux. Right. You know, it's not... It's not the lawless frontier that you would think it is. Mm-hmm. You don't get you know mugged the moment you come through, and that's because the guild keeps you know runs a tight ship. Mm-hmm. They do rule with an iron fist, but in a certain way, that's kind of a good thing for people. Mm-hmm. But you know,
1: there's obviously downsides. Well, to let's it. break down some of the factions. Sure, sure, sure. Um, let's talk about the guild a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're right. It is peace at any cost because. That's th- all of their bread and butter. Oh, yeah. They can't have that breach break, break down again. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they're preparing for it. They're studying for it. They're doing everything they can to, to, to not let that happen. I'm sure their contingencies have contingencies, oh, yeah. yeah. But they also have their own um, security forces. They have their death marshals mm-hmm. um, who go out there, the Neverborn Hunting Group, yep. um, uh, the Witch Hunters, who are going after unregistered mages. yes. And and or dangerous ones
0: because you're allowed to cast if the guild thinks that your magic is safe enough and they let you, but uh, I mean,
1: it's you are a weapon at that point.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you're 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 an element of chaos in their carefully, you know, uh, carefully curated piece, uh, and so they don't want loose cannons running around. But unfortunately, like I said, uh, Malifaux doesn't often give you that, uh, give you that option. Right um because there's a lot of people who come over here and find that their magical talents are completely unhinged mm-hmm. um but there's also like uh and we'll we'll talk a little bit about um the resurrectionists later but there's also mm-hmm. outside influences well, that course. try to sneak magic in
1: yeah um well okay so under the guild yeah working for the guild if you will but mm-hmm. still independent you've got the mining group
0: uh well yeah okay so they're they're the miners and steam fitters union
1: right right
0: um and this is basically they're they're kind of the people who like uh think think of it like uh like the UAW right right you know right. standing against the corporate executives at the big three right you know uh, they work for them but at the same time there's kind of an us versus them relationship where they're trying to stop the guild from being able to just you know run everything right um and on the back side. They're also running an underground railroad for unregistered mages. Well, of course they are. Uh-huh. They're, they're
1: going to control anything underground. They're They're the uh, almost the mob that sits underneath the mob. Yes that's in this world, which yes. is the, the straight man, the guild, mm-hmm. which is not the straight man, really. It's funny. the guild is the mob of the other world. Yeah, <laughs> on the other side of the breach. here they're the straight man. Right. With the Arcanists right underneath them as the mob, tr- honestly creating the balance and control.
0: Yep, yep. Running, uh, running black market soul stones yep. to people and dealing heavily in techno magic. So mm-hmm. if you're really into like the steampunk elements of things, of like you know putting a soul stone in a little mechanized spider and setting it loose, mm-hmm. that's that's where you're going to find it. As the Arcanists. Um you've got your outcasts.
1: Which are kind of just the unaffiliated, right?
0: Yeah, they're kind of just un- unaffiliated mercenaries. Um, in a lot of ways, you run into uh, a very eclectic group under the kind of the the, the outcasts banner.
1: Because they could be they can be anything from um, just like y- your typical wandering gunslinger kind of thing, all the way
0: right up to a monstrous like living. Uh, 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 how do you define killjoy? Um, Oh, boy.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: He's kind of like Frankenstein's monster, uh, like a World of Warcraft abomination, Pudge from Dota, if you've ever played that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's literally anything you can think of. Runs around with a hook and a cleaver. The made man, if you will. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and And all these things are allowed there, and they're watched over by the guild Mm -hmm. because they're not doing anything necessarily wrong. But it's it's still a little bit of a West element. In well,
0: that. some sometimes the guild even you know employs them, you right. know, depending on what their what their needs are because right. they're they're it's disposable, all they're plausible deniability business. Yeah. Um. So then there's the Resurrectionists, and this is the. Um, in, in the, in the Malifo skirmish game, this is the the people that I play. Mm-hmm. I've actually got two crews. I've got the Dr. McMorning crew, and I've got the uh, Molly Squid Pidge Take Back the Night crew. Oh, boy. Um,
1: the names. The names. Oh, oh
0: I love Molly Squid Pidge so much. But uh, uh, So the Resurrectionists are what they call necromancers over in Malifo. And uh, now a lot of the necromancers, like, you can't—so first off, necromancy doesn't exist on Earth. No. So this was all new to us when suddenly people started raising the dead, right? Yep. And there's a lot of different ways of doing necromancy, you know? There's the, like, you know, tormenting spirits into, you know, rising in incorporeal ways. You've got um, people who stitch corpses back together, like Dr. McMorning, who is uh, the—he actually doubles—he moonlights as a resurrectionist because he's actually the guild's medical examiner.
1: Wait, 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 wait. Um— the uh, the nurses that he's got around him yeah. are all made ladies, if you will. Yeah, like they're yeah. made better. Yeah,
0: they're they're undead constructs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, so yeah, Doctor McMorning, like I said, he's actually the medical examiner for the guild. Um, and sometimes they send him out to hunt resurrectionists because they figure he'd know more about it, and not knowing he is one himself.
1: Of course he does. <laughs> of course
0: he does. Yeah. Uh. And then you've got other people like Seamus, who is like a serial killer, yeah, um, who has murdered an entire brothel full of women and is walking around with his rotten bells, as they're known. Um, But uh, necromancy is not learned by, like, books. Mm -hmm. It's whispered to you.
1: Like like an ins like a, a a god or a spirit or a power. Yeah, it's called edging they, they, into your mind. They
0: just called the grave spirit, mm-hmm. and so you may just show up in Malifaux, and you'll just start hearing these little voices telling you, "Hey, try to cast this spell. Mm-hmm. Look at that corpse. Do you think you could make it walk? You mm-hmm. know." And it drives you a little nutty, obviously, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that's necromancers are chosen, not
1: not learned, you know, right? Um. Now, I said that there was. You, you've got your, uh, uh, Arcanists. But yep. there is another criminal group.
0: Oh, yeah. And this one's more organized crime. Okay. Like, the Arcanists are more like a, um, a black market, uh, uh a underground railroad sort of thing. But the Ten Thunders, which come from the Three Kingdoms, the, uh, the, the, the Orient, as you were, um, they actually have their own breach back over in on, on Earth and have basically been infiltrating Malifaux, uh, through this back door that they've got. And uh, they've got spies everywhere. They absolutely are the mafia, like the the um, the triad, basically, you know, uh, and they've got some some real powerful like casters and martial arts on their side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they know they've got it. They've got eyes everywhere.
1: Like what? Uh, what tropes do they use? The employ for that group because I'm not familiar with them.
0: Uh, the Ten Thunders is is kind of plays off of that, like um, like the Chinese railroad workers and such like that. Okay, initially. Okay, um, but also pulling in a lot of those like yakuza and triad sort of uh, okay. sort of influences. Okay, okay. With the um, you know with that with that like Wild West. Lint, um, Victorian bent to them.
1: Gotcha. Okay, okay,
0: okay. Uh, you get your gremlins. Which we talked about, the bayou, talked boys, about, yeah. bayou Boys. Bayou Boys, mm-hmm. Bayou Rednecks. Uh, yeah. But they're really good at mimicking human behavior. Like, they weren't like that before humans showed up. But now they are. And now they're kind of taking on those tropes because they see our civilization and they're trying to make theirs like ours. You
1: know? Which I think makes a lot more sense for the Bayou. Yeah. Again, it's an, a completely alien race adapting aspects. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes sense that they don't know what they're doing. They're just doing what they feel is is an aspect that they want to follow. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, like absolutely. that. I like that a lot.
0: Uh, and then there's the Neverborn, the bad guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, you can play them in the skirmish you know, game. The
1: I, bad guys. That's so black and white in this. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I... It kind of is. <laughs> nightmares made flesh, buddy. I, they're definitely antagonists. <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, they, they've definitely got a lot of their own motivations, and some people might say that they are fully, you know uh it, within their right to be very pissed off that we've mm-hmm. invaded their land and started mm-hmm. mining it yeah um there's definitely some some like uh uh what's the word I'm looking for there um colonization you know sort of feels there, yeah but, uh but at the same time they they are nightmares made flesh, they're about the closest
1: thing to demons we have in the setting right without i mean they look it, they have a feel of it, but they are not demons.
0: Yeah, they're they're more manifestations of our nightmares and fear. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of them take on the aspects of uh, boogeymen from lore mm-hmm. and uh, other like you know creepy dolls and stuff like that. Right. You know, so uh, I mean, obviously, with, without humans there to kind of have those things, they they wouldn't have appeared like that. Right. So obviously, there's some sort of a reflection of us. Yeah. But they're like this very dark, very negative reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, and they sort of feed off of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're also very pissed we're here.
1: So so all of that wraps around a, I'll use the word lightly, complex system that is only complex because you're having to explain how to use a deck yep. as a as a, a fate. Deck, deck of cards. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and not just one. Not just one deck of cards.
0: Yeah, kind of one and a quarter.
1: Yeah, I mean, but well, it's we will we'll call it two. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll call it two because it plays out differently, and and technically, which is really neat, they made custom decks for players mm-hmm. um, that are unique. They're they're not unique in the sense that uh they're 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 not a playing deck. Um, they're unique in the sense that the art and illustrations and design lilt toward a certain faction.
0: Right. Um. Well. Also, the uh. The suits on the decks of cards uh, are different. They um, so Malfoy uses a- analogous but unique suits for their cards right right. um so rams instead of hearts Mm -hmm. Uh, you've got masks instead of diamonds tomes instead of clubs and crows instead of spades
1: and the jokers are part of the deck and the jokers are
0: very much part of the deck because that's where you get your critical fails and critical success
1: it's funny that we're talking about this right after savage worlds like going into savage worlds and discussing it because there's i wouldn't say there's similarities but there's definitely some some points that they cross over in the way the mechanics play out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would absolutely. say. Absolutely.
0: Um So at its uh uh at its core um
1: if we can make this simple ca- car- characters
0: are uh, you want to talk about character creation or you want to talk about the you want to talk about the fate duck first? I think probably character creation. I think character
1: creation because we can get that out of the way pretty fast, honestly.
0: Right. I mean it's it's pretty it's sp- neat. It's it's so Your characters uh, have aspect, skills, and talents. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, So those are attributes, skills, and feats, or edges. Um, You call them by a lot of names, but basically it's your typical thing. Your Mm -hmm. attributes define your raw um, descriptor of your character. Your skills are the things you've picked up along the way. And your talents are fun tricks you can do that are kind of unique to you. Right. Okay. Now, how you create characters, though, Mm -hmm. this one is very... Very unique. I've never seen a character creation like this. Okay. So you take a deck of cards mm-hmm. and you lay a tarot spread called yep. a crossroads tarot. Hmm. Um, now you use a regular deck of cards, not a tarot deck, right? Though I'd love to see what happens with a
1: tarot deck. I you um, know it's a deck. You might be able to do it. Actually, you probably could. Uh, if you're good, if you're good enough to translate, you'll be just fine.
0: But uh, so you you lay out um, one card in the center, mm-hmm. and then you start one to the left one above, one to the right, and one below. So you end up with a plus of playing cards. With one in the center, yeah. Right. Um, so the one in the center is your um, your station card. Okay. Okay. This represents your birth circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this will basically just kind of describe your character's upbringing, um, Were you uh a you know an, uh, an academic of sorts or were you a burglar mm-hmm. or were you a necromancer or you know right what were what were the circumstances of your of, of, of your being here mm-hmm. essentially um next one over on the left is your body card mm-hmm. this one determines all of your physical attributes um, no, the, the suit doesn't really matter, but the number on it does. Right. Um, the higher the number on it, the less spread out and more balanced the numbers it will offer you. Now, the cool thing is, is that this is basically point by. Yeah. So it's going to give you a handful of numbers now instead of, uh, but, and all those numbers will total up to the same thing. So right. I'm getting the same amount of numbers as you are. Right. But I might get one, 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 two, three, mm-hmm. and you might get two, three three right there you go there you go um so uh depending on what number you get they may be more spread out they may be more mm-hmm. focused you've got your root skills go up on the top these mm-hmm. are skills that you learned where you were when you were growing up mm-hmm. um you learned them more or less by circumstance right and it's the reason they differentiate like what skills would you have learned looking at what your origin was what your mm-hmm. what your station card was right growing up on say like the mean streets of Chicago before you cross through the breach right as an urchin Mm -hmm. what would you have picked up right and that gives you a bundle of skill points again it's all the same numbers of skill points so it's always going to be one character will always be balanced against another but you may end up with uh you know two threes and a two or you may end up with you know one 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 one, you know across the Mm -hmm, board it's mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. master of none jack of all trades right uh, your next card on the right goes is your mind card. Right. That defines your physical attributes. It works just like your physical card, only it goes into your mental attributes. Right, which simple enough. Um, and then your bottom card is your endeavor skills. And these are cards you've picked up by choice as your profession. Gotcha. Now, your station just defines where you came from, but you can always... Grow out of that. You can always, you you know, depending on what sort of of leverage, what sort of story you're trying to tell with your character, this is really where you start picking up like your professional skills, Mm -hmm. you know, who you are now. Yeah. Now, you said all that, you get a couple extra um, points Points. to spend here or there just to kind of round out your character as you like. And then you do the fun part.
1: Which is neat. Because you've got the
0: cards laid out. You don't remove them. Mm -hmm. You look at that spread and you divine fate. Now the same charts that tell you how many points you get for what value of card Mm -hmm. um, that you've got in those specific locations also have a snippet of prophecy. A bit of text. Just a little bit of text. Completely out of context. Once you're done getting all your numbers jotted down, you write down your prophecy. You start with the last card you dealt, and you go in reverse order all the way back to your station card at the end. Mm-hmm. And you read the prophecies next to the 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 value of those cards. Right. The so value in suit.
1: So, like what you were just doing with the layout, it would read something like, "Yeah, because again, these are all random." Yeah, effectively. yeah. I
0: threw a random spread just so we'd have yeah, something. And to I write love down. this. It's yeah. like so yep. as
1: you walk the lonely road. Your dance will draw the sleeping eye and witches will wait for you at the crossroads. The sand of waters will make you clean and she is part gore and part kin. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. Nobody does. I don't know. The storyteller hopefully has a a clue of of certain aspects of it. But as a storyteller, even I could say that could mean any number of things as the story rolls on. But what's neat is, is that each one of those lines comes into play as your character moves through the story. Yeah, it's one of your paths to progression
0: is fulfilling your prophecy, mm-hmm. it's fulfilling your fate, and that's kind of where this whole thing comes down to. Is your characters are referred to as fated, right? The deck is called the the fate deck, Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, any test, like uh, you know, seeing if you know succeed or fail, is called a duel of fate, right. And the storyteller is called a Fate Master. I think there's a theme going on
1: here. I feel this. I'm yeah. feeling this. I'm not sure, but I feel they that it's something... might I
0: suddenly... be trying to say something.
1: Correct, correct. Something about drama, probably. Yeah. So, um, But I like that as you move ahead with these lines, mm-hmm. and you're pro- progressing in the story, you can say, well, you know, I uh, I was uh, tossed off of the train, uh, but nobody else was, and and doused into the sands. Yeah, and when I came back up, I was okay. Like I survived it. So I guess the sands of waters made me clean. Like,
0: I, well, I, I, guess I guess you did. Yeah, yeah. that's a good interpretation. Because I okay, survived
1: you know? the fall, like right. unscathed. Because I, I was made, I made my rolls. But like, that's weird. Like, mm-hmm. and now I'm like, I wasn't with the group when they pulled into town, so now I can get them out.
0: Right. Because right. I was
1: not part of the heist. So. Like you can blend that into your story as you go, you know, or the storyteller can blend it in as you go. Mm-hmm. And I love that aspect of it because it's it, it. Prophecies are always a little open.
0: Yeah, it's 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 interesting because we we always talk about like character backgrounds and histories and stuff like that, and you know, uh, g- giving plot hooks to your storyteller by telling them you know, oh, what NPCs you know or what you know, and this is like, give me a cryptic prophecy about your character that's going to come <laughs> true during this. Uh, right, <laughs> you right, <know?"> right. <laughs> and it, and it writes it for you so it's a really interesting way of doing that. Um and it becomes part of the advancement too because when you like fulfill or deny part of your prophecy um it's a it's a it's a chance for advancement. And that is what actually gets us into uh uh talking about advancement pursuits. And uh pursuits are very cool cuz they're they are like but also entirely unlike character classes. mm mm-hmm. Mhm um so the goal of a pursuit is that it is a temporary character class that you will assume for the span of an adventure um the the idea being that you will want to change these often mm-hmm. you are encouraged to mm-hmm. you're encouraged to take a pursuit that is be most applicable to the adventure at hand right um so don't think for an instant here where i'm saying oh you can juggle your pursuits around that this is some sort of like cheesy you know min sort of thing Mm-mm. they outright tell you like no seriously change your pursuit the storyteller should tell you at the beginning what style of story he's gonna that they're gonna mm-hmm. tell and you should
1: pick the pursuit that best fits it. Yeah, it, it's helping craft into something specific. Yeah, exactly. Get Fit fit the theme, you know? So a pursuit is basically, like I said, a
0: temporary character class that you're going to wear for the span of an adventure. You may wear them multiple adventures in a row, as as, as you know, fate or circumstance mm-hmm. might have mm-hmm. it. So there's nothing wrong. You don't have to change, but you're encouraged to
1: shift into that role. To, to shop around,
0: yeah. you know? Um, and it may be something as simple as, like, you're a gunslinger. OK, or you're an academic mm-hmm. or you're a, uh, I uh, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a con man or mm-hmm. the there's, face or there's, whatever. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of different pursuits mm-hmm. and each one will offer you a, uh, a pursuit talent, mm-hmm. which is basically a special ability that you only get while you have that pursuit. Mm-hmm. So if you change, you don't get to keep it. Right. But while you're a pursuit, you get to use that pursuits advancement track. Mm hmm. So, I play a game as a gunslinger. At the end of it, I'm awarded some XP. I can use that XP to advance, and because I'm currently a gunslinger, I can look at the gunslinger advancement track and pick up talents off of those. Mm -hmm. And those I do keep. Now, next game, when I decide I'm going to be an academic, because the storyteller tells us we're not getting into a lot of combat, this one's going to be a mystery hmm okay obviously being a gunslinger is not a great idea right my combat abilities aren't going to be used mm-hmm. so what else can my character do what aspects of my character are there that i could lean into that right. would help them solve a mystery right well maybe maybe as a you know i'm a i'm also a student of of warfare and mm-hmm. stuff like that so i took the academic uh pursuit for this adventure I get to keep the talent that I bought off of the Gunslinger track last turn, but I don't get the Gunslinger's Pursuit talent. Right, the bonus talent. Yeah, But I do now get the Academic Pursuit talent. Right. And at the end of this, if I want, I can spend my XP to buy an Academic talent.
1: Yeah, rounding out your character even further.
0: Exactly. Now, what this does is it makes it so that you're not stuck in one character class.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How many times playing Dungeons & Dragons have you been playing, like, the Fighter? Mm-hmm. And you're like, well... We're talking right now, and my character doesn't have any good skills for talking, because they're the fighter. Let me know when we get into combat, and you sit right. there on your phone twiddling your thumbs, yep. waiting for your turn to come around. Right. This guarantees that's not going to happen. Because I tell you right now, we're not getting into combat. Do you want to be something other than the fighter?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'd love to be the bard.
1: Cool! You're the bard this time around. Mm-hmm. And you get bonuses to talking. Let's go on an adventure. Yep, exactly. Uh huh. So it's an it's a different way of doing it, and I really like that concept.
0: Really, really like the concept. Yeah,
1: yeah. I could I could see that making its way into other games.
0: And uh, pursuit tracks um, are only ten steps, mm-hmm. so at a certain point, especially if you are playing a longer campaign, you have to change mm-hmm. because even if you stayed there for ten whole things, like you don't get any bonuses after that. Right, you are done. Right, you're the best gunslinger you're gonna be. Right, pick something else. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: yep, yep. It's time to bend some of the direction. Yeah, exactly. So, but I, I like that. I like the way that the system wraps around the cards, mm-hmm. um, in both the character creation and then takes those right to gameplay, in the way that uh the system works. Now, I, I kind of don't want to lean too far into the mechanics of the system. You know, uh, of of how. Uh, the duels of fate get into things because i think we could get pretty deep um and and it you almost need a representation uh to to, to really get it i i think we could get lost in the podcast here a little yeah, bit too I much
0: mean, it's it's so it's basically um uh attribute plus skill plus you flip the card, top card of the deck right um there's some modifiers that act a little bit like advantage and disadvantage, yep. where you'll flip more cards and choose the best one for you. Some cards. Or flip more cards and choose the worst, or and the
1: storyteller will choose the worst one for you out right. of it. Um, there's also the suits may trigger certain things. Yeah, sometimes you'll have triggers, or, or sometimes, like especially for spells and stuff like that, you'll
0: have a suit requirement. So right. it's not just enough that your attribute plus skill plus card flip exceed a 10, but it also has to have a crow.
1: Right, so you know? now you've got to make a decision there. Sometimes you decide not to succeed, but you do su- 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 You do want the trigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you
0: you might have a combat ability that like not only does your gun do damage, but if you flip a crow or you flip a ram, um, it might push them back
1: or right. knock them down or something. You know, right? And that's where the twisted deck can come in because you basically have fate cards, effectively that you can swap.
0: Yeah, you've got your own little deck or at least a hand to, it's is, it's it's 13 cards of right. which you'll have probably three to five in your hand at any right. given time um which you can use to twist fate and so basically you flip the top card in the fate deck and you say eh, i don't want that one yeah i'm gonna use this one out of my hand mm-hmm. that i know what it is so i know what it's gonna do right but that's a limited resource. And mm-hmm. it's a bit like using, like, bennies or fate dice. That's, that's how I kind of see it as well. Um, yeah. Or fate tokens, if you're playing fate. Yeah. Um, to kind of get, like, a, a predictable boost of, of, of outcome by expending a resource. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you might not always want the highest number, you know? Right, right. I, I might forego a 15 to swap it out for a 10 just so I can get the correct suit
1: to get a trigger. Exactly, which is what I was kind of addressing before. Yeah. And then... If we, could, if we even step away from those mechanics for a second and the card's there, because I do want to talk a little bit about how the magic system kind of falls under uh, Savage World a little bit in the way that you craft your magic.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's not, like, it's not like D&D. You have a set number of spells. You can't really alter them except for an empower or reduce or whatever. This lets you basically take two statements and plug them together.
0: Right, right. So there's a bunch of magical theories. Everybody has to have a magical theory, and these work a little bit like arcane backgrounds mm-hmm. in uh, in Savage Worlds. Or, uh, or uh, schools of magic. How you came about learning your magic. Right. And this can be anywhere from those whispers from the grave spirit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all the way up to literally Oxford. Like Oxford, Mississippi, there's a, there's, it's the Oxford method. You just, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one called the court procedure. That Which is really, neat. Really, that I loved. It's like 8,000 different precepts. Uh, broken down into 11 gates that they call Mm -hmm. and you have to it has to be self-taught there are no like schools for for court procedure yeah um and you have to like learn it yourself and essentially if you can learn it enough to exceed the first gate congratulations you get to join the secret society yeah and then maybe they'll, they'll offer you some other Someone resources. Someone will
1: recognize you, yeah. They'll,
0: they'll give you some other resources so you can do the rest of the work your damn self. Right, right. You know, because yeah. if you're not powerful and smart enough to learn it yourself, you shouldn't be learning it.
1: Right. Uh, but all of them use the uh, Magia and Amaru? Uh,
0: Magia and Emuto. Okay, I always get those wrong. Um, so Magia is what the spell does. Mm-hmm. And this is just your raw sort of stuff. like
1: Damage, healing, token, damage, healing push.
0: a push, yeah. you know, things like that. Um, immuto is, is how the spell is unique. What mm-hmm. changes that spell from its raw form? So you can do like, but only to inanimate objects. Or, and extra damage against undead. Or, and also paralyzes the target, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, by creating, by, by sticking together a Magia and an Immuto... You not only get, like, the total components of what you need to cast that spell, mm-hmm. but it also makes it uniquely yours. Right. Um, And there's a lot of Magia, mm-hmm. there's a lot of Muto, mm-hmm. and uh, effectively limitless combinations you can make there. Yeah. I mean, obviously some things work better with some other things and stuff like that, but, right. like... I was really impressed reading over the magic system and how flexible it is.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I, I like, I like when systems are more open like that, that give you a toolkit because you're, you're no longer bent on flipping pages and trying to memorize, you know, it's yours. It's going to be different than theirs. And it, it makes for that. Oh, I know what that spell is. I, you know, it will only ever do X. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, no, it won't. You no, don't you have,
0: know. You have no idea what's going to happen when Seamus starts using necromancy next to what Doctor McMorning using necromancy looks right, like. Exactly, you
1: know, totally different.
0: They're 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 both resurrectionists, but they have completely different spells mm-hmm, working mm-hmm. for them. You know, and, and
1: that's fantastic. That kind of reminds me of going back to uh, early days of D anD. d Where uh-huh. you literally had like you learned thaumaturgy, mm-hmm. or you learned you know. Um, uh, or or necromancy or evocation yeah. or abjuration. Like that was your school. Mm-hmm. And so when you saw another school, you may not know what they're going to do with it. Yeah. But this opens that, like, kicks that door wide open. Yeah, it does. It really does. So, uh,
0: uh, so what does, uh, what do we do well? What does, uh, what does, what does uh, Through the Reach do well for us?
1: I would say for me, it opens up another world of world building. It gives us another, um, kind of I I guess a mainstream product but I would say more of a mainstream world Mm -hmm. to play off of and I think that's great I think that's a wonderful gift to give new storytellers who are creative but they don't want to craft a whole world oh yeah yeah yeah. They, they don't mind putting you know individuals in that world you know and coming up with with unique stories but they need they need something to clamp onto and especially when they can hand that data to someone else and look it over and be like oh I know this rich world with these people there's this big bad guy and this big bad guy oh, yeah, yeah. you know uh, and that's a fantastic thing especially when the book has such rich vivid imagery
0: oh it really does the artwork is great the models the models look just like the artwork right. so like in the models are phenomenal for this for this line um and the thing that I really like about their world building is that it's so unique. Like, mm-hmm. I really can't like other than like maybe Deadlands. Yeah, I can't think of any other setting that even comes close to feeling like Malifaux does.
1: Not in this broadness. Yeah. Not in this broadness. Um, there there are some new stuff that it that is definitely coming out, but nothing n- nothing at that time period definitely, and nothing with the same distinction level. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's and because of that, I see a lot of potential uh, for some great storytelling um, that people can have. Because again, it gives them a, uh, a a punk not not like steampunk opera kind of thing, but uh, you know, you could do everything from steampunk to diesel punk to anything, mm-hmm. and it does it in a fantasy setting. Still, yeah. it's still fantasy. It's still fun. It's still magic. It still tickles that edge. If yeah, you will. yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, and I, I think the other thing that I'd like to do about it is the scalability of the setting. Mm-hmm. Um, in that it offers you some really great plot hooks for, like, if you want to keep things down home in the city of Malifaux, you know, and play like a, a Hell's Kitchen sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, th- this whole story takes place in four city blocks. Yeah. You can do that. Yeah. Malifaux, the city, has enough... Um, enough stuff going on mm-hmm. that you could absolutely tell that story that takes place in four city blocks but at the same time you've got that broad frontier out there yep. all that unexplored and and even inside the city there's there's quarantine zones and stuff like that so yep. yeah. um lots of scalability mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and then lastly the other the other thing that, that's really great for me is because uh, because i actually started playing the skirmish game a handful of years ago, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. when it was first edition. Yeah, um, it's in its third edition now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh the rules, the second edition rules for through the breach, are basically an expanded version of the rules for second edition Malifaux. Okay. Um, now they're on third edition Malifaux now, but I guess that the changes have been pretty minor. There's some balance mm-hmm. tweaks and stuff like that. But so I would say about ninety percent of the rules should translate from one to the other very quickly. So you'll feel it very comfortably. If you play the Skirmish game and want to get into Through the Breach, you will you will look at Through the Breach as a expanded version of the rules you're already playing with. Yeah. If you're playing Through the Breach and that tickles your fancy about the Malifaux setting and you want to play Malifaux the Skirmish game,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you will look at the rules like a reduced version of Through the Breach.
1: Yeah, and it, in that sense it's another minis game you can shift to if you're having a, if you're being currently upset about another manufacturer of minis games. Yeah. If you're boycotting GW,
0: I'm, I'm going to come yeah. right out and say it. Yeah. Um, if you're boycotting GW currently for their, um, interesting takes on fan created, uh, uh, content. Um, you know, might give, be a give, drift. A look at, give a look at weird games. Yeah. Uh, this, now it's, it's, it's got a very low barrier of entry.
1: The minis are also painted. No, they're still unpainted.
0: Oh yeah. They're, they're very unpainted.
1: Okay. Um, and that's that was one of the things I, I couldn't remember is if they come painted or unpainted, and that's fantastic. Yeah, quality yeah, minis is always a good
0: thing, and the, the detail on them is amazing. Right. Now, the one thing you do have to be ready for is that they are very small and very intricate. Mm-hmm. Um, I pulled out my Take Back the Night box because um, I, I, I i talked to, I talked a big game about having Molly Squid Pidge and her crew. Um, I haven't taken her out of the box. Yep, I haven't yep, clipped yep. her off of the sprue yet. Um, the entire crew the entire crew is on one sprue because they're that small yeah and the sprue is like i don't know what would you say that is seven inches by five inches
1: if that yeah
0: if that yeah um the pieces are it's it's not heroic scale Mm -mm. okay and when i say heroic scale is like you know how like you look at a games workshop miniature it looks like the head is big the hands are big the body is very stocky Mm -hmm. um because it, it it gives it that sort of that bulky proportions, kind of makes it look a little heroic. These are realistic scale, right? So if you were to shrink an actual person down, think how teeny tiny the little fingers would be. That's how big they are.
1: Yeah, the eyes, the face, the the. I remember the um, uh, the uh which, uh, which uh, the Gremlins. Yeah, seeing some of the detail in the Gremlins, they're beautiful, but my god, are they small? Oh yeah,
0: oh yeah. So yeah, but the but the plastic is also very sturdy and stuff yes. like that. So yes. um, they've moved they've moved from pewter to plastic minis, which is huge. They're all digitally sculpted and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's it's a they're they're an amazing mini line.
1: So what's your issue with it?
0: All right, uh, so I really I liked the prophecy thing mm-hmm. like on its surface but the more i started to think about it the the the, the harder it was for me to wrap my head around it mm-hmm. coming from a storyteller standpoint advancement based on a vague prophecy could be confusing to players as if if not your your storyteller like well
1: and and that's i think the same problem we ran into with mouse guard yeah where you're like i, I need to have a goal and you kind of make up a goal and you're like Am I, can I do this? Can like, I do did I like, do it right? Get from point A to point B safely? Is that too cheesy? Like, is that am too I... general, you no.
0: know? No, that's what your mission is. Yeah, but now Google.
1: that's written by somebody else. Mm-hmm. So it, now it gets even weirder.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, um. so so now you have to try to shoehorn these weird things in, which, I mean, I guess is an excuse to, like, delve into some of the weirder aspects of the, of the, mm-hmm. the game system in the world and stuff like that, but... Yeah it does put an extra level of stress on people to just imagine the unimaginable and then make a story out of it, you
1: know? Well, I think the other aspect of that is, is that for the players who do want a specific character design, it you can't necessarily have a specific character design.
2: You've, yeah, maybe, you, you, maybe not.
1: You, you end up with, you know, this backstory with this four story. Yeah, I mean, y- you got to pick some of the aspects of it, but... There's a lot of this you don't. Yeah. And I yeah, think absolutely. that can be off-putting to some of the players, definitely.
0: Uh, the Fate deck can also be off-putting to some players. Uh, I know we're all used to dice and stuff of like that. Um, and uh, so it, it can be a little weird shifting over to just purely cards. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Savage Worlds has still has dice as its backbone.
1: Right. And cards are only used for a couple things. But, right, right, um, But I think people are getting more comfortable with cards I in systems. So, yeah. I think it, they're showing up a lot more in games. Um. And it's, it's not a direct carryover from the skirmish game. It's close. It's it's close, but it's it's obviously expanded to turn itself into
0: something a lot more free than, right. than just victory conditions between three models, you know?
1: Yeah. And I know you took a little issue with the world building. Not necessarily issue with it, but how everything sits within the book.
0: Yeah, the the... The Blessing and the Curse of Malifaux as a setting is that it has a lot of really rich and colorful dramatis personae that move the story around you. And that the world all kind of revolves around them. And I just... I think that's really great for a Skirmish Minis game because it gives you a lot of, like, cool crew leaders to pick. And gives each individual crew kind of a really cool um, feel and flavor to how that crew runs on the table... But when you come down to a role-playing game, um, there's a danger that all your stories will just revolve around these Dramatis Personae. Mm-hmm. And unless you do it right, unless you tell that story um, in, a, in, a, in a in a correct way, um, you run the risk of your story just being a story about these Dramatis Personae NPC, and your, uh, your player character is just kind of exist in the same world well we talked about that there are
1: there are definitely game systems that are world-centric and that are character-centric yeah and this is definitely a world-centric game without Mm -hmm. a doubt um the one thing that i will say to that is that 7c is very much that as well um i i see that you know you've got a a rich world Around Seven C, with rich characters that all have—you have heroes and villains, mm-hmm. and kind of gray people as well, spies and such—in um, a complete setting that is in multiple countries. Sometimes down to so, some very direct individuals who are there that you have to interact with. One of the things is, if to master something in Seven C, you have to go seek a master, and their name is in the book.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So.
1: The idea of 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 a player being able to come up with these other things and fill in the gaps, or a storyteller to be able to do that, kind of pigeonholes you in a direction. But I've actually found it kind of freeing in that sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's, there's it's it's freeing because all that work is done for you of coming up with who who the movers and shakers are. So you can they're they're defined, so you know how to run between them, and you know when it's important when they show up. You know,
1: right. But the other thing that I liked about that Seven Seed really did well was that. The players could read through the countries. Mm-hmm. They could. They knew the names of the players. Yeah. So when one of those players came in, one of those NPCs came in. They... You can literally go, "Oh crap, that's King Louis." Exactly. You know. What the heck that's, is he that's doing? Here. You know. Yeah. Yeah. When you know you see a ship with bloody red sails sailing towards you at a high speed with a madman with wild hair and a sickle on the front. Didn't I kill that guy's lieutenant or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. So, you know, when Crace comes to get you, you know, you know who Crace is. Uh-huh. And that that kind of momentum is hard to get when you're building everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, um so I think there there's something to be said for it, but at the same time, I I totally get where it could feel like the DM's playing their own game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I totally get that. And I, and I've been in those games before and they're utterly miserable. I I think that's just something you have to learn as a storyteller because you could well, you could run is. in the same mistake in in D&D just as easily in like water. Defense. You've got Elminster and Fist yeah, and, all, everybody. and the, yeah. the the Unmasked Lord and all yeah. that. Yeah. I yeah. I get it. There's so much lore out there. Um no Knox not- Knox in the
0: box says in the live chat asking uh was there a scaling problem with this game don't players get noticeably stronger after every game? Um in a sense they do. Uh, it's not really suggested that you play like 5 year long campaigns with the same characters. Yeah. Uh, it definitely is for like a short to medium run yeah. campaign if you're gonna play that um i I don't remember hearing anything saying that there were scaling problems, but it does say in the book yeah. that after a while like you're after a while your advancement's gonna really cap out and yeah. like just so so don't don't aim for a you know. 78 session, like you're not going to see a no. critical role campaign done. I you know?
1: I was reading that, it 148 was, that you're dealing episodes. with uh, between a, a total of 10 to a maximum of like 20 sessions. Yes. And you're done. Yes. If your story isn't done by 20 sessions as storyteller, mm-hmm. or not necessarily sessions, but story arcs. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, beats, if you will, where XP is doled out, you, you, you did something wrong.
0: Yeah. And 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 it might and it might be a, you know a, a level of scaling too and that's probably why they say to do something you know short mm-hmm. enough like that because they recognize that there's a cap to scaling on there. Yeah. Um but I think it's okay though. I mean like we're you know a lot of us are busy adults nowadays. We've got we we you know, we've only got so much time to go and mm-hmm. uh like in doing research for this uh for this game. Um I was actually hearing that brought up as, as one of the one of the the selling points of it
2: mm-hmm.
0: is that it's not a game that expects you to play it from you know from first to twentieth level no. every week for the next five years like who can commit to that no you know uh no play it for like the next six weeks yeah and that's the whole game
1: mm-hmm. you know yeah get into it enjoy it tell a story and get, get the out. hell out yeah yeah and if you like it do a different one right yeah I, I, Shadowrun tends to feel the same way mm-hmm. because. The build up goal isn't the same. Yeah. It's it just, it's not there. So, like, yeah, you go on these runs because you want to finish the story, not because your character needs to level. And I, I like game systems that lean in that direction. Mm-hmm. That's always been something really cool. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of questions. Yeah, we have a couple questions. Let's start with Overwatch.
0: All right. Uh, so Overwatch asks, is there a non-standard mechanic, other than the typical dice rolling, that you've seen in a game system that you would like to see catch on? Alternatively, is there one that you've seen that is just bad and would have uh, been best left on the drawing board?
1: There's a lot of different systems that we've we've gone over that are different. I like card systems. I think they're getting different, not only that they're not just playing cards, sometimes there's other elements in it. Uh, Savage Worlds has uh, has elements that are different than mm-hmm. a standard deck. Mm-hmm. This game kind of uses a standard deck, um, but has its own yeah. little mechanics that it throws in with the, the suits being different. Um, I think um, the difficulty that you have with doing anything that is a non-standard mechanic is that we've we we as as a society and a, a and and uh, as humanity have gone through so many different ways to deal out fate or randomness mm-hmm. that it's hard to find something that's not standard. Standard to our system is dice, coin, uh card and that's about it. Yeah. I mean once you start moving into the realms of like Jenga towers, <laughs> yep, you know, or you knew or, that was going to come. I up knew in this that discussion. was going to come yeah. up without yeah. a doubt. Um, I, I I saw someone who had built an RPG around a road trip. It was meant for kids, okay, and it basically kind of created personal bingo cards mm-hmm. that had to do with road trip stuff. Okay, and that was your mechanic, huh? For fate, because what were you know the driver was effectively the the coordinating storyteller sure everybody else in the car was playing this game and mechanics came off of that it had to do with what was coming on the radio next Uh you just basically hit scan huh and based on the song and uh the type of song that it was or or if it was a commercial would determine things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, that's a random way of handling things. It's a different mechanic. I don't necessarily think it was a great mechanic. Mm-hmm. You could definitely run into some issues with that, but at the same time, it was different and unique, and and come even more random than you could say than dice even to that degree. But because it's it's you're not totally out of control of it. Yeah, you know, yeah. it is now truly random what's going to happen there. Uh, and they even had rules for static. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought that was a different way of looking at things and I thought that was kinda neat, but it's it's also to a specific uh setting. You you've got to be in a car. You've got to yeah. be with the people that way. Yeah. Um so I think as far as for me non standard mechanics that I that I would like to see in other systems catch on, um I would have to say that I would I would like to see more card like
0: that's what i was gonna say stuff that was what i was gonna say um, um i remember watching uh, uh undeadwood mm-hmm. which was a um a four-part miniseries uh, uh deadlands game that mm-hmm. the critical role crew threw together with uh brian wayne foster actually um fiance of ashley johnson and uh, host of talks mocking other their, their right. after show uh actually is a phenomenal storyteller mm-hmm. uh tells an amazing Deadlands tale mm-hmm. um and uh one of the mechanics and, and I'll, I'll be down on as much as I'm into Savage Worlds right now I don't know if this is because I'm, I'm not familiar with the Deadlands setting mm-hmm. um and I know there's like some custom rules from yeah. it's it's not core suede it's it's Deadlands is its own kind of like based on Savage Worlds rules yeah um so I don't know if this is core Deadlands or if this is just something they did for the for the for the one shot but um like when they were doing spells, they would deal a poker hand, and okay. it was like a quick. It was like a one-person game of Texas Hold'em. Interesting, where you could gamble to see if you wanted to like push your extra power points or something like hmm. that into it, and you know if if not, then you would get uh, you would get overload. And hmm. so, so you would never roll your your spell casting or your or your miracle or your your faith skill or something like that mm-hmm. to cast. It was always a hand of poker hmm. if you wanted to cast
1: a spell. Interesting.
0: Uh, and I really liked that. I mean, obviously, it would slow the gameplay down, and so you really only want to use it for dramatic purposes. Mm-hmm. So having, like, three spellcasters in a group of six people, it would get really tedious to do that. Mm-hmm. But for, you know, a smaller group where magic is a rare and very special thing, mm-hmm. I really, really, really liked it. Okay. And okay. I'd love to see more applications of cards. Uh, the main reason I want to see more applications of cards is because... Um, it's randomization without replacement. Yes, and mathematically that's important, because like on a d6 or a d20, mm-hmm. you can roll a twenty, and that doesn't mean that you can't roll a twenty again. Right. That twenty is still there. So you, right. so it's with replacement. Mm-hmm. Okay. The next time it gets random, the twenty is replaced into the set. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Right. Without it's not a replac- diminishing set. Right. Without replacement means if I pull the king of hearts. That King of Hearts goes into a discard pile. Now, first off, it's not a 1 in 54 chance anymore. It's a 1 in 53 chance. Right. And the King of Hearts is a zero probability for being drawn. Right. Because it's sitting on the table. And so every single card that comes out of that deck changes the probability of every other card in that deck at that point. Until
1: they're all reshuffled.
0: Exactly. And that fascinates me. Yeah. Shifting probabilities. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely different, and it's definitely a, a neat way of handling it. hmm So, all right. So then Knox asks, uh, with the comfort uh, with the comfort most players, especially new players at tabletop, have with dice-based systems, do you find that unconventional game systems such as this, uh, or like Dread with its Jenga tower, have a hard time maintaining a lifespan amongst the communities? What do you think might help ease this discomfort? I honestly don't think that's the problem.
0: Yeah, I don't, I, I, don't think, I, I think it's
1: either. the I think that D and D saturated a market. That's exactly what I was going to say. You, you go to Germany and you don't have D and D saturation. No, you have Shadowrun saturation. Right. You, you well, go to Japan, you have Call of Cthulhu saturation. Right. So I think that's a a local cultural shift. Yeah. Um, I mean, you you go to England, you have GW saturation in many ways. Yeah. Um. But I I think that's what we're seeing here is, is it's it's purely based upon the marketing and the acceptance within the area.
0: Yeah, I think Dungeons and Dragons has a has a has a legacy name going for it, mm-hmm. and then major properties like Critical Role, Dimension Twenty, My Brother, My Brother and Me, uh, Adventure uh, Adventure Zone yep. has pushed D and D even further into the uh, into the mainstream. Yeah, and so. You've got this influx of, of new players right now, and um, D&D is very fashionable
1: Yeah, right now. See, what's interesting to me is I bet if we have this conversation again in a year, mm-hmm. we're going to hear a lot more about Powered by the Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. Oh, I bet. Especially with the Kickstarter that was uh, that, that just went yep. live. That's exactly did, did what you, I think. Did you see
0: the funding on it, by the way?
1: I haven't looked at all.
0: Okay. So the what I'm referring to, and I posted this up on the Discord for those of you who were there... Um, is uh the Avatar: The Last Airbender um, Kickstarter went live? Magpie Games, uh, who we previously featured uh, with Apillion, a Dragon, st- a Dragon Epic, yes, um, uh, who make um powered by the Apocalypse uh um styled games, mm-hmm. uh got the license for uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender
1: role playing game, and. Everybody jumped on that fifty thousand goal.
0: It was at four point three million when I last looked
1: earlier yeah. today. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm all for it. I have nothing against Magpie at all. In fact, I know them. Like I, I, yeah. I, 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 I'm familiar with some of the staff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they're probably going nuts right now. Oh, I, bet. which is great. I, I bet. mean How is it not going to go nuts? But at the same time, this is not D and D. Yeah. Yeah. So my thought is, how long is it going to be before Critical Role or somebody up there gets a hold of a copy of this and starts running it? Because you know that's going to happen in the marketing play.
0: You know, I I think I actually think we're we're kind of starting to see it too. Like it's it's already kind of happening because um, like uh, you know floating around on the tabletop RPG YouTube sphere. um, I've been seeing a handful of other, like, you know, typically D&D YouTubers and stuff of that going like, hey, um, unpopular opinion time, but I don't think D&D is the greatest role-playing game that's ever existed. I know, please Mm -hmm. don't lynch me, but, but, um, I got a hold of this game called Monster of the Week, and it's stupidly fun, and I think this is my favorite game now, you know, I've seen that, um... Looking at uh, major properties like uh, Dimension Twenty uh, uh, from College Humor, um, are recently playing um, a game called Mischief and Magic, Misfi- Magic and Misfits. I can't remember exactly how how it goes, but um, and that's based off of uh, Kids on Broomsticks, mm-hmm. which is itself based off of Kids on Bikes by Renegade Games. It's mm-hmm. again its own game system, you know. Yeah, I think what we're starting to see is like we had this initial swell of popularity for a couple of years off of Dungeons & Dragons. Right, right, right. And I think as Dungeons & Dragons is starting to kind of like become mainstream and wash out, the people who came in with the big tide of like, oh my God, D&D is the new, the new hot now
1: mm-hmm. are
0: starting to now go, cool what else is out there. Right. And so I th- think we're right on the
1: verge of that sort of like maybe other games are going to start flickering through the vogue. And and that's the thing that I'm saying is is that D anD D right now is only backed as far as uh, as far as large companies go mm-hmm. for marketing stuff by themselves. They're getting a boost from all of the side marketing that's happening through these uh, other channels. Yeah, yeah. Critical Role, you know, uh, some support on YouTube, uh, people cre- being able to create content for them and sure, things like sure. that. But Avatar as a system mm-hmm. has Nickelodeon. YouTube, Netflix, and Disney. Oh yeah, Disney. Disney. Okay. Disney. Uh, Disney owns um, which aspect of it? Um, I got to think about this for a second. Yeah, the art they, studio. Uh, no, the movie. Uh, oh, right. Okay. Okay, okay. okay. Um, so because it's 20th Century Fox, Walt Disney. Gotcha. Um, so you have all these players who all want this to be successful. Uh huh. And all it's going to take is. Th- Positioning of the outside players who are slightly and variedly attached to those groups by, you know, uh, actors who worked with this group, Uh, sound of, you know, uh, voice actors over here. You know, you take two of the Avatar voice actors and you throw them into critical role and give them the books. Uh huh. Suddenly that explodes, and now my cabbages is being (laughs) said by everyone who loves critical role yeah you know or whoever else on youtube does it or netflix produces their own series that follows along the live action series that they're producing yeah and it explodes now everybody's playing powered by the apocalypse and playing all of these other games that go along with that that aren't avatar the last because that's just one franchise look at all these other games you could be doing more adult games you mm-hmm. know and boom you know, now it's now it's back in now that's in the mainstream. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I I think a year from now we we may the, depending on how the marketing hits, mm-hmm. we may have a very different story, and D and D may have an uphill battle. I don't think they're going to lose their mainstream players oh, in no, no, any no. way. No, nobody's nobody's going to dethrone D and think not in the but... least. But I think the the I of the of the horse blinds will be pointed in a new direction for a little while. I,
0: if if nothing else, I think it's going to equalize a little bit. And D&D won't have 90% of the market share. They'll only have 60% of the market share and you know that other 30% will be will be freed up a lot and uh, other people's
1: games will be um which I look forward to. Will be out there. Yeah, I absolutely. really look forward to. Absolutely. I mean, I think it was great when we had the swell um In the early convention times uh, of the early '80s and Mm -hmm. uh, and early or middle '80s to the '90s, yeah, there was some great convention time there where some wonderful games came out, and then there was this huge swell that Games Workshop stepped in, Mm -hmm. and Games Workshop made a big push and took over a bunch of stuff, and D and D kind of foibled with. Third edition and three point five and and oh, we're, yeah. we're, so we're, we're trying to figure themselves yeah. out in fourth edition. So there was a lot of confusion. So they basically went quiet for a while. Yeah. Until they were prepared to do something else, and a lot of things came out during the time. Shadowrun had a big push. Uh, a
0: vampire, the, the World yeah, of Darkness God, had a huge, Art- push, huge push right there. Yeah, yeah, huge push right there. That was that was the ubiquitous game in in those days. At least yeah. uh, at least in my circle of friends, yeah. Nobody gave a crap about D d It was all World of Darkness. Yeah,
1: and so I think. We're gonna see that again. I think we're gonna see that that curve swell again. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm looking forward to oh, that. Oh, I'm absolutely curve. excited for it. Absolutely yeah. excited for it. So, so. All right. All right. Uh, uh, let me go ahead and get us rolling. I know we went over, so we kinda of froze things up. Let me go grab yeah, that real so quick. So our, what's next Our
0: Next week's topic is gonna be uh <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of it's a bit of a storyteller's rant. Um, some things we wanted to say, some things we wanted to maybe get off our chest So this is an open letter to players, not our
1: players, just players in general. A storyteller's lament. I mean, can, we're not gonna be rude about this. We're 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 not, but some of it may come off as a little bit ranty. Yeah. the 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 workshop title
0: for this was players get your shit together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it is the whole Morty like get your shit together, get it all together, put, put it put all it in the bag, bag, take it to the shit store. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just get your shit together.
0: Uh, so, so, yeah, it, it may come off as a little ranty. But it's not pointed at anyone. We're just, no. we're just, we're just. sometimes storytellers got to got, about You can find us.
1: us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. On MixLR uh, Wednesdays, you can listen to us record at 7 p.m. on MixLR.com slash storyteller dash Conclave. Uh, you can find the link to our Discord, which a few people join from our Twitter, yeah. uh, or you can go to our website, uh, storytellerconclave.com.
0: Uh, I want to thank our Patreon members: Knox in the Box, Sam, Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, Hula Voo. Thank you so much for supporting the uh, the show week after week, uh, month after month. You uh, really help us keep uh, keep our head above water here and keep the show coming. Uh our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreoncom anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Gee Frog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music playing now is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that up on freemusicarchive.org.
1: We'd like to give a special thanks to our families, Vicky and Sean, for supporting us through doing all of these shows and listening to us rant about things at times. Um And all of our friends who have come together when we're running our games to help us learn what we're doing wrong and what we're doing right. And you, our listeners, thank you.
0: We love you so much.
1: Good night. Good night.